Hello and welcome to The Watering Hole, a podcast for in-house lawyers brought to you by Stevenson Law. In this podcast, I interview in-house lawyers on top of their game, gaining insights from their experiences, challenges and hard-earned wisdom. I'm Alice Stevenson, the founder and CEO of Stevenson Law. Without further ado, let's begin. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Emma Lilly. Emma is the sole legal counsel at SD Works, a company which delivers people solutions across the entire employee lifecycle. She's also the founder of In-House Potter, an online legal community helping aspiring lawyers to unlock their in-house world. So it's great to have you here, Emma. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Alice. Um, so it'd be great if maybe you could start by talking a little bit about you and your background and also why you chose a career in law. Sure, I can do that. Um, I could talk for hours about it, but I'll keep it brief as we're on the podcast. Um, I was born in Stoke-on-Trent and I still live in Stoke-on-Trent. I had options to move from the city through the legal career, um, but decided not to. And I feel very at home here. I qualified four years ago after studying an undergraduate degree at Staffs Uni. So again, stayed close to home and then studied my master's in LPC part time in Manchester, um, but just traveled up at the weekends that we had classes. So again, I could stay quite local. I have a dog and a cat. The cat has seen me go through my studies and my new puppy has seen me settle into my new role. So I feel like we have a special bond with them when it links to studying and law. I think they do help us to get us through these things. Uh, Why law for me, it was a complete accident. I didn't intend on being a lawyer. I probably, if I'm honest, didn't want to be a lawyer at the time. I, well, didn't get the best A-levels, failed one of them. Um, the grades just I deliberately erased from my mind because I was so embarrassed by them at the time and then got to results day and realized I didn't get into the degree that I'd applied for which was music I was quite talented I'd say at music I'd play by ear um, chosen music as an A-level but didn't really get the theory side of it just wanted to play and get it taped to the place that it did and just chilled me out but didn't get into that degree so that was the end of that called around universities local to me and said you know what have you got with my situation (laughs) and my grades what can I get onto they were like we've got a law degree at staff so I was like great amazing you know I didn't think I'd ever be able to get to that point and they were like well caveat you'll have to do a foundation year to bring you up to speed of the others that have the A-levels that you require so I was always destined to go to uni I'm quite academic I always wanted to go so the fact that it was a different subject you know it upset me but it didn't really throw me off still progressing in some way academically so I decided to opt for the uh, LLB with foundation year which will be four years decided to take a gap year in the middle of it because it's fun and I wasn't on the hamster wheel to qualification that most are which I think now has been a huge benefit for me and then fell into law thankfully not because I enjoyed the degree necessarily, but because I discovered in-house on the way. So I guess that we'll we'll get onto that. But that's the start of my journey, I guess. That's really interesting. I didn't do very well in my A-levels either um, because I was pregnant when I took my A-levels. I was seven months pregnant. Um, I think I kind of 
had a similar just strange route to you as well so I but I couldn't get on to a law degree I ended up doing sociology with HR management and then going back and doing the GDL um but it's it's always really interesting hearing about other people's journeys um okay so maybe you've already said that you sort of found in-house right at the beginning of your career so could you talk us through your experiences sort of up until joining SD Works, where you are now. Yeah, sure can. So I discovered in-house through the part-time role that I was working in. So whilst I was studying, I had a part-time role working for a gambling company, which is about 365. And somebody pointed out that there was lawyers within the business. So mind blown. I was like, really, you can do that. I don't have to be, you know, that follow the traditional route that I just quite I realized early on wasn't for me so it opened another door for me the fact that I could be in business like just suited me more like commercially minded and you know straight from the off I can be in a company um so I was like right I'm, I'm gonna start in investigating this and I did and came across the usual barriers to be honest you know you've got to be qualified first at a big firm before you can do it you've got to be four years qualified or five years people were actually prescribing the amount of years you've got to be qualified before you go in-house and if that was the only option for me, I wouldn't have qualified and I wouldn't have been in-house. So I had to pursue something that I found, you know, did light me up a little bit and that I was interested in and find a pathway through, you know, to start my career. So I didn't give up, continued to research and disregarded, to be honest, a lot of the advice I was given. I'm so glad that I have now, but was just so tenacious with it, probably because there wasn't many other options. Or I didn't think at the time because I had this, you know, label of awful A-levels, you know, you couldn't get into uni, you've got to make the most of what you have right now. So decided to start speaking to people that were not necessarily qualified in law, but were in business and that would work with lawyers in-house. So I thought I'd tackle it from a different way. So I was like, I'm not getting through, through the, the legal industry isn't really helping me right now with, with what I want to do. So I decided to go that way. I spoke to recruiters quite early on, you know, well before I was qualified and got my first role, I was saying, you know, what, what are the chances of me going straight into in-house and kind of bypassing this, you know, barrier that is everyone's you know, got to go through um and had a look for instead of in-house training contracts because they just weren't around you couldn't get them looked for paralegal roles and again faced the oh you're taking a step back you're going to go in as paralegal you want to train as soon as you can vibe um but search paralegal roles on linkedin and thankfully there were a lot more than i thought there would be there's a lot of in-house paralegal roles especially now it's more public but you know, just to make that search, I'd, I'd found an abundance of them really, much more than I thought would be out there. Applied for them and landed one quite close to me in the next city, which is Crewe. And that turned into a training contract because I, you know, really pushed and tried really hard, um, made it clear that I wanted to train, but prove my value to the business. Um, and then had my LPC and master's funded and I was away and also had six months time knocked off from my TC because of the paralegal experience I'd had that everyone said would be a waste of time so voila it, it worked out really well from then um, after I kind of explored everything that I could there and wanted a new challenge I moved to Manchester Airports Group in 2018 
and was part of the group legal team there that looks after Stansted, East Midlands and Manchester. Got stuck into way more um, like regulatory issues, as you can imagine, everything that's connected to an airport, completely different team experience and setting and vibe. But then I learned from that that what I really liked was being able to see what I worked on. So I'd walk around the terminal and I'd be like, I did the contract for that. And I still do it now. I'm so annoying. If you go for an airport with me, <laughs> I'll be like, you know how hard like, or how complicated just those trolleys are. And they'll be like, Emma, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so yeah, I did, I did um, two years there. And yeah, just unfortunate circumstances with the pandemic. It's probably the worst hit industry travel. I decided to move on to SD Works, which is where I am now. Been there just over a year and I'm the sole legal counsel for the UK and Ireland, which was a scary role to take at my level of experience. But I believed in myself through the challenges I've had and how I've trained that I could do it. And yeah, I'm just enjoying most days here now. So what's it like being a sole in-house counsel? It is... Varied is such a generic word when people say, oh, you work in house. Mm. And, oh, it's varied. It's like, well, what does that mean? But it is so varied because if you think I'm the only contact or um, I'm the main contact and only contact for all legal queries relating to the UK and Ireland and sometimes internationally where it has a spin on those areas. So anything that you think a company might need from an in-house point of view from a legal in-house point of view, it, it's on me. So all the different areas of law you touch upon when you're studying or you're training or anything that a law firm might offer, chances are I'm going to have to at some point have a thinking cap on in relation to those. Now, of course, I get help. So there's, you know, we have a contracts team, amazing with like repositories and interpretation and standard queries that we have. And I sit within an international team. And then of course, there's the law firms that we need and, and love and rely upon so much either for capacity or expertise reasons um, that are always there for us. But that also comes alongside a really challenging workload that never stops helping different departments, knowing what is the most important to each of them and why and not saying, you know, I know it might be urgent to you, but it's not to me. There's different ways of dealing with that with a workload that you have as in-house counsel. And I'm still learning. I'm learning all these things. and I'm sure that I will continue to do so for as long as I am sole legal counsel. But I think... Uh, the main thing that I've learned is that how just how important relationships are, whether it's within or without, out with internally or externally of the business. That just really helps a role like this, I think. Yeah. Do you um do you work remotely or are you office based? Work remotely. I have an office that I can go to. My closest one's Manchester, and I do go from time to time now that we're back up and running, and I travel mainly to Belgium, which is where the headquarters of my company is and where my boss is. I don't like the word boss, my leader, my inspiring leader is based. <laughs> um, so I go and visit the rest of the team there. Um, but yeah, mainly from home with my puppy and cat. That's how I like it. Sounds really, really nice. Very similar to me. <laughs> Just two yeah. puppies and no cat. Um, but do you think that I mean, obviously, working from home does have its challenges, and particularly, it, it makes it harder to make yourself visible within an organisation. 
um, and as the sort of sole legal counsel, then obviously it's really important that you're visible because you need people to be able to come to you um, rather than going off on, on a bit of a jolly and, and doing things without any legal input. So how do you kind of ensure that that people come know to come to you when they need to come to you? It's a very good question. And sometimes it's just sticking your nose in whether you feel it's welcome or not. So when I, <laughs> when I first started this role, there'd been a gap in, in legal resource in the UK. So naturally there was a bit of a loss. People varying degrees weren't sure how to, you know, work with a legal counsel. So it made it even harder for me, but you just have to be in meeting rooms. You have to be seen whether you feel like you're going to be welcome. Like I say, sometimes the view of a lawyer in house it might not be what you'd want it to be on the on day one of a role you, you don't know what you're walking into and especially sole legal counsel it's on me so make, creating those relationships sometimes is just as you say being visible but when you don't know where to be visible at the start I just wanted to be visible everywhere I was like I'm here I can help you with that you know when they're talking about something that they might think isn't necessarily legal you can either assist from a legal point of view and save your thoughts about these things or even try and get stuck into the commercial side in a way that your your brain is wired to do through qualification and I did put a lot of pressure on myself at the start but I do think that that's really helped the visibility now that I have both ways because the the queries that I'll get sometimes are just like one line questions and that's how I wanted it to be just what you think about this I can deal with it and it's gone or other times it's you know copying an Emma in case she needs to be aware of this sometimes it's like great thanks but don't worry about anything other times it's like yeah we need to talk about it so I think it's, it would be easy for me to say oh well just make sure you're on teams or make sure you answer you answer the phone when called all the time it that isn't always possible when you're working on different things I think it's a build-up of visibility to be honest you, you, mm. it's always going to be difficult working remotely but you have to work at it and sometimes it does require that extra effort that you might not think oh that's not my job to do that or you know yeah. I don't want to push my nose in there but it's necessary sometimes isn't it how, how have you found it with working remotely yeah I mean it's been it's been an, an interesting journey to be honest all of our team works remotely now um, and I think it's the same the same things as you've really talked about I think you know we have we, we have teams for all of our internal chat um, we obviously have lots of internal meetings, um, but it's about putting that extra effort in to connect with people and to check in with people um, and make yourself visible so that people feel, sorry, my dog. What's the matter? What's it was either going to be yours or mine. <laughs> Where was I? So yeah, it's about putting that extra effort in to make yourself being to be visible. And I think particularly if you're in a, in a position where you're supporting a team, you have to kind of really make that effort to check in with people. So we have a month, everybody has a monthly one-to-one, for example, with their team, with their line manager. And we've had to put in place quite a comprehensive um, comm strategy as well. So that, you know, everybody feels like they are, getting all of the relevant information that they need both about their role and about the business and 
So we have lots of different ways in which we share information um, and lots of different kind of formats and, and channels. So that, that seems to be working really well as well. But I think you have to manage it quite intentionally. That's my experience. You can't just sort of just let it happen because that's not going to work very well. I think you have to be quite disciplined about it, really. Mm, for sure. But, There's but something else that really yeah, yeah. There's something else that we've tried, um, which is a huddle. And it's just 15 minutes um, on random days. Sometimes it'll be in the morning when you sit down. Sometimes it'll be just before lunch or even like during a lunch if you did want to join when you're on your walk. And it makes it really, really lovely because you don't know what you're going to get sometimes. So sometimes it'll be like, oh, what's my colleague up to today? And, you know, I've been there and I've been doing my makeup whilst we're talking about the day or I've been, you know, taking Richie on a walk. And if I feel like it, there's no pressure at all. Sometimes, you know, you just don't have time or you just want some time to yourself. Um, but it's more like a friendly chat rather than a colleague chat. But the amount of things that you learn about a colleague or a team member or, you know, inspiring leader um it is is really good and the, because there's no pressure around it it's has a different slant on it on it being a meeting in your calendar it's just like oh if I feel like it or I need to connect right now or I've got something I want to say or share um mm-hmm. that's just been really nice it's really worked for us I like having that in yeah that's a good idea I think some of our legal teams do that actually as well and it works well so what do you love most about your role the freedom the freedom to make a difference in the way that you know I I know is required I think you've got to have certain level of confidence when you're in a role like this and I wouldn't want to be in this position but also feel like I've got constraint or more constraint than you know I I I know how I thrive when I'm working and it's with freedom and being able to make an impact and, you know, designing processes that I know will work from experience or challenging things that from experience I know won't, but then also the freedom to learn more from others who have experienced the same in a different, you know, business context or legal way. I think it's the culture again, we're using those like buzzwords, the, I think sometimes you can create your own culture as well. And I've got the freedom to do that because of the position that I'm in um, being sole counsel. But I determine, you know, what's most important at the time. Um, Yeah, I like, I just like having the freedom to determine what I would like to do with my day, really. And of course, you know, there's urgencies and if, I'm not saying freedom in terms of, oh, I can't be bothered to deal with that right now. I don't have to. We know we're professionals. We know what needs to be dealt with and when, but that extra edge of the pressure taken off from a corporate hierarchical point of view, it just makes me do a much better job. I enjoy it way more. That's the main thing that I enjoy about it. And it's not necessarily oh, I love getting stuck into contracts and all of this. It's it's the attitude to it all. And that makes yeah. such a huge difference, especially when you're looking at working in-house. It's huge. You're, you're trusted to get on with it. Completely. You know, in the way that you think is best. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. But what would you say is the most challenging part of your role and how, how do you manage that? The most challenging part is dealing with the amount of pressure I put on myself 
to keep those relationships that I was talking about earlier. So I want to be the visible and available and like down to earth legal counsel that everyone can chat to and that understands how they're feeling. Even if I can't do it right now, I'll, we can talk about why or, you know, the, the accommodating legal counsel that does what she can within the time and the boundaries that she has. But you can't do that all of the time in a legal role that has such challenging urgencies and competing priorities, especially when you can't tell everyone in the business necessarily what you're working on all the time. That is really challenging for me because I'm so honest, so open, as you've probably seen from me online. And, you know, I just want to be what you see is what you get. But then you've got, of course, the boundaries of like regulations and things that we have to keep confidential cannot be at all compromised. That is what I find the most challenging, I think, is um, not necessarily not being a yes person. It's I'm finding it a lot easier to push back, but it's the relationship side and the emotional intelligence sometimes goes way too far and takes over. And I'm like, you know, you, you don't have to do their job as well and please them all the time. And, you know, to the sacrifice of yourself and your own workload, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think that's natural for, mm. for what I do? I'm not sure. It's difficult, isn't it? I think lawyers as generally have a tendency to, to be quite hard on ourselves. I think... There's a lot of perfectionist lawyers, aren't there? We like to to be the best we can at our job and we don't like making mistakes and we don't like letting people down. And I think that's something that's quite common, I think, for sure. Mm, yeah. I don't think I don't think you're on your own. <laughs> good. It's good to know. <laughs> Pause the podcast because I want to talk to you a little bit about our legal community called the Watering Hole. Our exclusive community of in-house lawyers come together online to network and impart knowledge. We host exclusive Legal Bite sessions, quarterly meetups, and members also benefit from a merch-packed welcome package and a monthly online magazine curated for the in-house lawyers called The Pool. Membership to the Watering Hole community is completely free, but spaces are limited. So if you want to join, then check out the link in the description of this episode. Right, back to the podcast. So you touched on like the confidence required for your role, but do you think that there's a kind of type of lawyer that's best suited to working as a sole in-house counsel, or do you think that, that anybody can do it? Oh, tricky. Um, I think that so anyone can do it. If you want to do it, you put your mind to it. You can adapt and you can grow in, in any role, I believe. I wouldn't want to say, you know, I'm the certain type of person, therefore I can't do it. For example, my journey, I'm from Stoke, working class, no, um, you know, the first person to go to uni in my family, etc. You wouldn't see me as being a lawyer, but somehow I'm here chatting to you about my experience. Um, in terms of the, the sole legal counsel side of it, though, I would say what helps me to be confident within it is the way that I like to work so I'm an introvert I often need to be alone to think things through and if I were to be hounded too much in terms of control I would really struggle with that so by the nature of being sole counsel 
you're less likely to get those things. Mm. However, if you were in-house in a wider team that was much more, like I say, hierarchical, um, or even having people reporting to you, I don't have anyone reporting to me. That's a deliberate choice because I feel like I've got so much more to learn there before I have someone report to me. I don't want it to be based upon how long I've been qualified. I want it to be based upon if I will be a good leader or not. So there's those things as well. It's not necessarily just having people above you in the structure. Having people reporting to you as well is something that you might want to think about if you are interested in being sole counsellor. Is that something that you want? Um, do you want to build towards it? I think the, the certain traits that you have might help you to be better at the role. Like I say, confidence, you've got to be bold. You've got to be willing to feel like you're stepping on people's toes, even though you might not be. But also it would be, and I've spoken to a lot of people about this, too lonely for people who like to be surrounded by more lawyers more of the time or more whatever department you're working in or closest to more of the time. I think it's because I also work from home and I'm sole counsel, but then again, the deliberate choices because I know that works for me. But the freedom, mm. if I was to thrive around more people, I could go to the office every day. So I would recommend, again, if you're thinking about this, just go somewhere where you have got the freedom to choose. That's the main thing that would make a role or make you thrive more in a role, I think, like this. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So let's move on to your side hustle now, in-house Potter. Can you just, let's start with just telling us a little bit about what it is. In-house Potter is an online community that helps aspiring in-house lawyers to find their way, really. Just as I struggled, as we alluded to at the start, to find in-house, to get into in-house and work through all of the tripe that I was told about it. Didn't want to swear then, got to be good. <laughs> work through everything that I was told that was just absolute nonsense now. I wanted that to stop with me. Now that is a big, <laughs> I know, a big aim, a mission to have. But, you know, through an house Potter, I've worked through many legal career sites and updated the information that they have that is outdated and inaccurate. I've educated people that are way more qualified than me, of course, of who I will always respect for that, but educated them on the way that in-house is right now and how to help someone with that. Um, moving into the SQE and other routes of getting into it and helping people decipher, you know, what they want to do, whether it is in-house or not, but even exploring things that are wider than the route that I thought it was all or nothing for, for me. It was either you go down the traditional route, you do this, or you don't be a lawyer. It's, it's assessing that world, of course, of which in-house is a huge part of it, but creating awareness of it through the community alongside the obviously you, if I can do it you can if I can qualify and be working in a role that is so aligned with my values and, and goals right now that somebody else can too and to not feel pressured by the the world that we just find ourselves in when we're studying and training it's just so it's dog eat dog it's and you get stuck into a I've got to be a certain person to be a certain place by a certain time you and I know very well 
it's not like that at all but you only discover that after you're qualified so I wanted to change that so through the community and um through the things that I do the blogs that I write the events that I speak at I try and tackle those things I think that's amazing I mean do you think that there is still any stigma attached to a career in-house or is that something that you because you you were obviously told advised against going into in-house right at the beginning of your career and I think if I look back on my career that there's kind of a, there is there was definitely a bit of a stigma attached certainly with the law with the lawyers working in private practice um to the kind of in-house career route do you think that stigma still exists do you still encounter that I do and it's disheartening when I do see it and you'll always see me pop up on LinkedIn to try and shut it down as much as possible where I do see it but what upsets me is that where it's still present people are so bold about it now so before it was like soft advice that was common and it was established but now what I'm seeing is because we are shifting shifting and people are realizing that you can qualify and you can start to work in-house especially with qualifying work experience now you can experience it but where people want to challenge that it is a hard challenge it is a you are not going to be as good a lawyer if you work in-house before you work in private practice or I would not advise I would never do that and, and quite harsh like of a stigma and I think that's you're going to get that when things start to change you're always going to get those that that pop up and and be the naysayers as you'd say Alice and just be like you can't do it you know don't do it this way um, that's what upsets me but I also think it's it's coming through with you know salaries the jobs that are out there you know the talent war that we have right now private practice is likely always going to pay more however if you work it out on an hourly basis how true is that I'm not sure for the traditional firms I'm talking about but you have the but when you're young and looking to go into a career, there's a lot of attention around salary and you will base the, the value of a role based on how much it's paid. So there's always going to be that that we have to, you know, keep an eye on. But I do think that there's still a stigma, but we are starting to change it. I just don't know how long that is going to take. What do you reckon, Alice? <laughs> I mean, it's cra- it is crazy when you think about it. I mean, I've got so much respect for the in-house lawyers that that I've worked with in my career I mean I did a, about three years in-house as well before I started my law firm um, and we work with lots of in-house lawyers as well and it's such a hard job it really really is um, so I don't even it's just one of those one of those perceptions in the legal industry that just continues to completely baffle me well I'm glad I'm glad that you with me on this <laughs> I, am. <laughs> I am but um I, I just will never understand it I never will and it comes from it's deep-rooted though the amount of things that I've studied that are so private practice centric that it's like almost a subliminal message this is where you're going to go first this is what you've got to do you know all of the client care stuff and everything that is so like even billing what whatever like most of the practical stuff it's just so geared that way to take a step away from it is almost like oh am I not as good a lawyer now 
because yeah. I don't want to do what everyone is so hyped about and is saying is the best route to take so I understand yeah. why people feel that but I mean if it's not for you and you're going to hate it what is the point in even going there well there, there are just so many other options as well right and and you're never going to get just one path that's going to be suitable for everybody and this is what I say to lots of people who come and ask me for career advice is you know don't just follow the conventional path blindly without looking at the other alternatives that are available because it frustrates me that they're not as obviously pointed out to students um, but they are there and with a bit of research and a bit of time you know they can be they can be discovered it just requires a little bit more and more effort and I guess that bravery to step off the conventional path and do something a bit different but Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I'm hoping I'm hoping that we will no longer have a conventional way of going into law it will be a what's best suited to you what lights you up what will you enjoy doing for the next however many decades uh just just reach for that what what suits you like what is success to you not to the lecturer or not to the person next to you or not to the the corporate website that's in front of you like what do you really want to do and and pursue that and don't worry about the perception elsewhere because it's it's your life and it's your career you've got to shoot for that exactly so I saw that you're running a petition at the moment um in relation to the law society's admission ceremony in London do you want to just maybe share a little bit about that because that looks super interesting oh thanks for asking about this Alice yes I When I qualified, I couldn't afford to go to London or my family especially couldn't afford to come and see me be formally admitted to the role in London. Um, It's too expensive and it's even more expensive now because also I, when I graduated at the same time because of my mismatched route, that was also in London. So there was two events in London and I had to choose between them. And the more I started to talk about this and share it, the more I realised so many other people struggle or don't attend a qualification ceremony at Chancery Lane either because it's too far it's too much or even because you know they might have a disability and it's really difficult for them to get there or you know the, the family again can't afford to go and see them do it so they'd rather have it you know shared with people who have been through the experience and the turmoil of getting to that place with them. Started to research it a little bit more and it's the only place where you can attend an admission ceremony not only for England but for Wales as well so you know it's England and well English and Welsh qualification and everyone has to travel to London now there is more to life than London London is, is of course the city it's our capital city and there's plenty of um law firms that are there but for those that haven't you've deliberately either decided to stay out of London or it's not accessible for them or for many different reasons uh it's just really difficult for them to qualify and now that not to qualify to go to an admission ceremony to accept it that really hits hard because it's such a cold welcome to the industry it's a either you live near London or you have you know someone who lives in London or it's easily accessible for you or you can't celebrate that you've qualified and by the law society. And I was just like, this is so wrong on so many levels and I want to change it. And 
especially with you know the regional hubs that we have and there's there's so many other beautiful cities and granted one of the comments that I had when I launched this was that um not everywhere's got the history of Chancery Lane I was like well I don't even know of that history so first of all not everyone cares about it <laughs> not everyone qualifies because they know of I'm sure it's you know of, of huge respect to whatever history is there but I that wouldn't drive me to go what would drive yeah. me to go is that it's you know I could celebrate somewhere that that means more to me than than a city that I didn't want to work or live in and it's just that this London centric view is also very archaic and it's also not very it's not very in-house <laughs> because a lot of the businesses are choosing to not have their HQ there as well you'll find yeah. um so I decided to launch a petition of course, I've been speaking to the Law Society and we've got open dialogue about it. It's not been a, I'm going to hit out against it. It's been a, you know, it's been a process and we are establishing, first of all, the interest. There's a few things about it, of course, that I would still challenge as to the way that we might go about it or might not. But good news, it's been successful in terms of getting the Law Society to listen and to open and to think about it and I can say that we're at the planning stage of looking at hosting more outside of London. So if we can have a much warmer welcome for those that want to qualify and to be able to celebrate that, I mean, that would make my heart sing. And everyone that signed it and shared it and supported it like has made this happen so far. So we'll see what's next. That's amazing. You actually spotted a problem and you're fixing it. I think that's super impressive. Thank you. I'm trying, trying with the support of everyone. (laughs) Of course, but you know, it takes a certain type of person to do that, Emma. And I think it's really impressive, particularly when you've got, you know, a pretty challenging day job. And puppies and renovation works. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say there's the job, but then there's also the puppy training around the job (laughs) and the everything else. Uh, But yeah, this is what, to be honest Alice this sort of thing is what keeps me in the profession if I couldn't change it or have any sort of impact I couldn't just sit with some of the things that I see and notice that you know there's always places to improve but things that are so obvious as that if we can in any way influence or change or you know make it better for those that are coming through for the future then then why not do that yeah well obviously I completely agree with that um so I know you've talked about uh, quite a few things that you would like to change about the legal profession, but what's kind of number one top of your list? What would you like to change about the legal profession? Oh, number one, Alice, I've got scrolls. I have. <laughs> <laughs> number one, this is so hard. I'm going to have to be clever about this. Um, I think it's the, the perception of the the standard lawyer perception I think that will tackle a lot of things I think just as you advocate for so well we are all humans and we all have differences and things to celebrate and praise or or flaws or like quirks about us that we should be free to share without fear of oh that's not very lawyer of you or I wouldn't hire you, or you, 
I wouldn't want you as part of my organization because um you know I've, I've got piercings or you know yourself with tattoos or even even further than just appearance yeah. why why can't we be ourselves but still aim to be fantastic lawyers CEOs law firm owners you know like creating our own communities without being judged based upon things that are outside of that lawyer box it it, it just drives me crazy most days and it's scary it's very scary sometimes and I take a lot of inspiration from you it's scary to push out of that because yeah. whilst you're working in the industry yeah. you know you, you you've still got a career to uphold but I think it's way more important than anything else I think we've got to continue to challenge it and keep going because the more people see the differences within different lawyers and journeys and how we look feel think act uh, I think the better to be honest well, it just ultimately makes the profession more inclusive, doesn't it? Because if you've got somebody who thinks that maybe they want to be a lawyer, but they can't see anybody within the profession that looks like them, sounds like them, has, you know, has followed the same kind of path, then it just creates these barriers to people joining the industry. And, and ultimately, we end up with you know, a massive lack of diversity, um, which just isn't acceptable anymore in my view no it's not no what's your one thing I think it to be honest it would be the same Emma I think 100% okay we're we're aligned Um, yeah (laughs) always (laughs) (laughs) it was bound to be (laughs) so final question and you touched on this at the beginning when you said that you um that you'd applied to do music so if you weren't a lawyer what would you be Oh, I don't know, Alice. What would I be? I There's different ways of asking this question. I've been asked it in a few different ways. It's like, what job would you like to try for a day or what? I, I struggle. I think I'd struggle to let go of some sort of, um, you know, position like a lawyer because I've worked so hard for it. But I also, I'm just so tempted to say like dog groomer (laughs) 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 or like, um, I don't know, I'd go and tend to people's veg gardens. (laughs) Something completely different. Something completely different. But there is, I think it's hard to call a legal role beautiful, but something that's beautiful. I'd like to be a florist. Yes. Wow. (laughs) A florist. Yeah, I yeah. just would love to be surrounded by by flowers and plants all day. That would make me really happy. I love it. Flowers, plants, yeah. animals. Yeah, it, it yeah. would be something that gives a lot of life because I find yeah. in, the, in the role that I have now, I have to go and find that life to keep me going. Whereas in a role like that, I think it would just come to me if, if that's a reasonable yeah. answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> Okay, so that that's the end of my questions. I suppose maybe um, do you want to share your Instagram um, handle for In House Potter for anybody that is interested in checking that out? I definitely recommend following you. I do, and it's brilliant. Thanks, Alice. Yeah, so it's just at In House Potter. Potter is P O T T 
E-R, which is after Stoke being the Potteries, not necessarily Harry Potter, but that's where it comes from. That's my Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. You can chat to me there. I'd say most active on Instagram. I think it's easier to send voice notes and catch up with people. But yeah, please do connect. I'd love to love to meet as many of the audience as possible. Great. Well, Emma, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I have found it really, really interesting chatting to you. So I know that lots of others will as well. Um, So thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences with me. Thanks, Alice. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Watering Hole podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. I'm Alice Stevenson, and this has been brought to you by Stevenson Law, a legal services provider that supports fast-growth tech businesses from idea to exit. See you next time.